So how cool is it to be back in church? Good? There was, um, as you probably all know, we can only have 20 people plus the worship team in church. So there's quite a few who had other things happening, family things. I guess um, family, it's been difficult to catch up with family the last uh, few months, so there's quite a few catching up with family, others who... uh, who we ask, and we've particularly majored on those who might be in the older category um, and some of those who might struggle with uh, the internet. So welcome to all you guys who are here. It's great to have you here. And welcome again to everybody out there in internet land. Okay, I'm going to read to you... um, from uh, Kings, uh, First Kings, sorry, in chapter 18, Bill's, um, as I said before, Bill's going to be speaking on the battle belongs to the Lord. And the reading he's asked us to look at is, uh, it's when um, the land of Israel was in great drought and had been for some time. Ahab was the king, and Queen Jezebel, of course, was uh, the queen, and um, Israel were uh, not really where they should have been as far as the Lord was concerned. So they were under great drought. And um, Elijah, the prophet, asked if he could catch up with King Ahab. So we read from there. Uh, And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah replied, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab, King Ahab, sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, "Mm, sounds a good idea. What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, 
Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or maybe he is travelling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom of the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two sears of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Remember, it had been drought, it had been famine over many years. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand, is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind arose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, 
And tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Wow. What a story. Okay, thanks, Bill. Thank you, Max. Welcome, everyone. It's great to see faces, and it's great to see some uh, people watching us. And I, this time I'd like to give a special welcome to dear friends of mine up in New South Wales who will be watching, and it's Jean and Rabina. And uh, they were very special friends to us when Pauline and I were up in New South Wales. So thank you for watching, Jean and Rabina. And Pauline gives her apologies. She wasn't just that well this morning, so we uh, she sends her apologies for that. It is a great story, isn't it? Probably since you were very tiny children, even up to your age now, you've heard this story over and over again. You've probably heard many sermons on it. But I wonder if you've really caught hold of exactly what was happening with this event. It's crucial that we grab hold of what this story holds to us today. And so many of us fight battles, haven't we? Even from the beginning of creation, there have been wars and rumours of wars. There will be now and even up to the future. And when the Lord in, uh, comes to take us home, then there will be that mighty battle where Satan is finally defeated. But we have had battles, wars, confrontations, threats, divided opinion, strong disagreements, and outright antagonism to the way nations and people live, believe and behave, and function as a community of worth. In the last six months, Australians have dealt with drought, bushfires, viruses, the economical economic upheaval and are all along with threats from other nations on trade wars. Many agree with the way the federal government has managed these issues. Others strongly disagree. The same with the state government and their individual approach, approaches to the above issues. Others are sitting on the fence undecided. But there are also health battles and spiritual battles. I'm struggling with a health battle. Uh, a fortnight ago, I was told to go and see a specialist uh, down in Bendigo. And uh, the doctor just before that said, Bill, go have a bone density test. He said, have you ever had one? I said, no, never. He said, well, you go down, have a bone density test, and um, we'll see what happens. So I went down, had the bone density test. The phone rings and the doctor says, I want to see you, Bill. And he said, um, your bones are no good. 
your bones are too brittle. He said, you've got to change the way you do things. And he said, I'm sending you down to a specialist. And a specialist agreed. And he said, Bill, he said, your left arm is very brittle. And he said, your back is very brittle. And he said, you can't do anything bending forwards. He said, even doing your shoelaces uh, normally, doing them quickly, he said, your back can just go. And so I said, thank you very much, Doc, and uh, went my way and thought, well, my life's just been completely changed. I said to him, that's what I do. That's who I've always been. And um, he said, no, he said, we're going to give you vitamin D uh, for a few weeks to build up your vitamin D, and then we're going to give you an injection. You have two a year. And he said, this will continue on for about five years, and hopefully by the end of that, that your bone is a bit stronger. And I said, Doc, in five years' time, I'll be almost 80. I said, it won't matter. <laughs> so I said, you know, but this is it. This is my health battle. This is my personal battle. And now I've got to toss up and wonder where our lives are. What can I do? And uh, and where's God leading in all of this? But there's also spiritual battles. And today we're talking a major spiritual battle. Jesus said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers that are beyond us. So he says what? Put on the armour of God. When you are tempted, put on the whole armour of God. Not just one little bit, not just a helmet, not just a shield or a waistband, but put on the whole armour of God. And he will see you through these things. And this is what we do when we come this morning, the battle belongs to the Lord. The backdrop to this confrontation is the corruption of Saul's faith in his old age, of Solomon's faith in his old age. In 1 Kings 11, 4-7, it says, In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Amorites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, he refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. And from Solomon's death up until this event, Israel had seven kings over 81 years and seven days, all of whom 
did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What were the seven days? There were only the seven days. One king lasted seven days. But Ahab had the distinction of being the worst of them all. Uh, 1 Kings 16, uh, 30, 31. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. And as though they were not enough to follow the example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbal of the Sidonians, and began to worship Baal. What was the worship of Baal and Asherah? It held the belief that Baal was the storm god, the god who rides on the clouds and brings the rain and thunder, lightning and hail. And he combined with the goddess Asherah, the fertility god of the earth, brought the cycles of nature that were dependent on bringing the good harvests in their season. So what was happening in the communities that now made up Israel was a blending of Yahweh worship and a blending of Baal worship. Yahweh was the warrior god, the warrior god of the desert, the power god over Egypt and the pharaohs, the Red Sea incident, the god that led the people through the desert, the god of Jericho. But Baal was being the god of the mundane aspects of everyday life, the rain, the livestock, the fertility, the births and the crops. King Ahab and the people saw no harm in such a concocted mix of religious beliefs. Thus the accusing assault from Ahab, you troublemaker. The term troublemaker Ahab was confronting Elijah with is the thought that, Elijah, you are the problem, there is no rain. You alone have angered Baal, so he is not bringing any rain until you cease this carrying on and uh, let us get on with our lives or until you are executed. This was the accusation that was going on. And so Elijah answers right back to Ahab. You and your household have forgotten the laws of the Lord. Elijah had been directed by God what to say. His words were inspired words from God. I swear by Lord God 
Almighty, Jehovah or Yahweh. And as soon as he would say Yahweh, Ahab would have quaked in his boots. I swear by the Lord God Almighty in whose presence I stand. Your family are the troublemakers. You have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Carmel. The commands of the Lord are those mentioned in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, 1-4. They're actually the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Then God gave the people these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. You must not for yourselves make an idol of any kind of image of anything in heaven or on earth or in sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God and will not tolerate your affections to any other God. And King Ahab would have known those commands. And so, like the rising of the light from the first star at night, in the dark, gloomy sky, Elijah appears out of nowhere. He just is. His name means Yahweh is my God. And he arrives wearing a leather belt around his waist, and he is hairy. If we read the New Testament, some refer to John the Baptist as being Elijah. And we're told he is from the town of Gilead called Tishbe. We do not know his age or anything about his past. He is a mystery man, but we do know that he is a prophet a man of faith, a man of prayer, a listener to God's leading and direction, and he is a man of action. And if we read this story again, we see that God says to him, Elijah, go to the brook, go to the village of Zarephath, go present yourself to King Ahab, Go stand before me on the mountain. And three times his degrees of faith were increased. We all need our faith increased, don't we? All of us, regardless of whether we're just a new believer or whether we're senior believers. We all need our faith increased at some point in our lives. And at three times 
Elijah's faith were increased. God said, go to the brook and the birds will feed you and you will have water until it runs dry. Secondly, he said, I want you to go to the woman of Zarephath and there I want you to stay for a while. And so he went and the woman said, Elijah, I can only feed you tonight. The flour and oil I have is enough for me and my son, and then it's gone. And Elijah said, my dear lady, just go cook it. And why, as long as Elijah was there at that household, the oil and the flour were supplied. The third one, the woman's son got seriously ill that he died. And Elijah was uh, elsewhere and the, the woman said, go get Elijah. And Elijah comes and goes and lays on the boy and he supplies new life into this family. The boy is healed. And the last thing we hear is her response. And she said, Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Wow. One could not help but be encouraged by those words, could one? Elijah, regardless of his faith, he just, he was a wow, thank you, Lord. That's what I need at this time. That's what I need before I can go and confront this king of Israel who is totally against you. And so the challenge. Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. The term hobbling between two opinions refers to birds hopping from one branch to another, uncertain which one is going to hold their strength and hold them up or is solid enough to build a nest on. It's interesting that Revelation 3.15, in John speaking to the churches, speaks much the same language. He says, you are neither hot or cold for me. You are lukewarm. In your faith you are uncertain if I can 
or is there doubt? How is your faith? Are you hobbling between two branches? And so what is stake in this challenge is awesome and striking. Yes, Elijah's life. He most likely would have been stoned to death or on the spot or had his head chopped off if he had failed. Elijah knew that. But what about the God of Israel and his reputation? He would no longer be feared. The I am who I am would now be redundant. The Lord is my strength and mighty hand would be nothing more than a slap in the face. The Lord is my banner would have been shredded. Here's my shield and protector would have been penetrated and pierced with a lethal strike. The whole personhood of God is challenged. His name, his work, his very being is being put to the test. If Elijah failed, the history of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob would have no more significance nor the God that led them. The major accounts of Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, Ruth, David and Goliath would become mythical accounts of fierce warriors instead of God of the Hebrews fighting for their freedom and protection through them. From this point on, on top of Mount Carmel, there will be no more ongoing history of Jehovah. There will be no more monotheistic God is one. God's supremacy we would be reduced to just another idol, along with the already 850 others. Friends, that was what was at stake. That is the significance of this story. Baal-Zebubab, the god of the Ekrons, and Asherah would have unchallenged allegiances. The demise of and the belief in the one true God, the God of Israel, waited on the actions of one person, and that person was Elijah. One must add to Elijah's CV that he was a fair man with a sense of humour. The beasts and the wood have been prepared. The pits dug, the water urns filled. 
Baal's prophets have been given the all clear to go their hardest, uh, and they do, all morning till noontime, calling on Baal to act, but no luck. Nothing happened. Then they go on till just on evening. Then God, then Elijah calls the people over to his pit. He floods the waters, floods it uh, with water three times until the trench is overflowing. Then in a single and simple act of prayer, he calls on the name of the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, their true and faithful God. And his prayer is a short and to the point. Prove today that you are the Lord, that you are the God of Israel, and I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. It's not a hard prayer. It's not full of theological words. Is it? It's simple and to the point, as prayer should be. And each of us can pray simple prayers, meaningful prayers. And what happens? All praise to God, He answers in a mighty way, in a flash. It is gone. It is consumed. It would have been an awesome sight to behold, stunningly impressive. Everything was gone and all that was left was dust. And the people responded in a mighty way. One silence are now shouting their affirmation, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, God. Yes, he is God. Yes, he is God indeed. You know what else happened that's not mentioned in a short period of time? Baal and Asherah worship ceased to be in the nation of Israel. It doesn't say that. But that's what happened. In a very short period of time, this cult worship of Baal and Asherah ceased. The only mention I can find of it is in Revelation. 
And again, John is warning the churches. And he says, comes back to this point. And he said, remember when Israel chased after Jezebel and her gods. Remember what God done. That's all that happened. But if Baal and Asherah and their prophets succeeded, that's all that we would have had of God. It isn't that wonderful, isn't it marvellous, that God is the true and living and ongoing God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So, in closing, <clears throat> in closing, friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, today, what is your personal Mount Carmel experience? What idols do you and I have mixed up in our faith walk. Where does our faith come before we go to other things to solve it? Where is your trust in God? Where is my trust in God? What are you and I sitting on the fences about concerning our faith. Is it God has not answered me? This situation is not getting any better even though I pray about it. Why has this happened at this time in my, <clears throat> in my life? God, if you had... Now I don't know. Are you like two birds jumping from branch to branch, wondering, or is your faith solid, standing on the promises of God? If you are struggling, if you are uncertain, can I suggest that you journey back through the past and see where God has led you and blessed you? Remember where God has been faithful and just to you and to others. Just before the Mount Carmel incident, there's a person's name there, Obadiah. We don't know whether it's the prophet Obadiah or another one. There's 13 Obadiahs mentioned in the Old Testament. But we all need Obadiahs in our life. Unbeknownst to Elijah, Obadiah was hiding a hundred other prophets or ministers uh, of God and feeding them even though he worked in the palace with Ahab. He was an encourager. 
He was a supporter. He was a helper. So in our struggles, remember we have other brothers and sisters. Remember that you're loved. Remember the words of Jesus, that you're more important to him than the flowers in the field, that Jesus died for you, that you will not be tempted be what you can stand, but God is faithful and he will provide a way. And the way is the power of the living Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And one John complete finishes my sermon. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Have faith in God. He will fight your battles. He's promised he will if we call on his name to do so. Amen. Thank you.